All right, we are in Hebrews chapter 7 today. This is an important day in our series, yes. Pen, anyone else? Pen? Joop. Pen for anyone else? Okay. Need a pen? All right. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Adam. All right. Well, guys, I've been teasing this day for some time, and it's finally arrived. We've been hearing about a guy in the book of Hebrews multiple times and uh, haven't had any explanation of who in the world this guy is. Who are we talking about? Does anyone know? Who, who, what name has popped up a couple times and, uh, and we haven't had the chance to really explore. Melchizedek. So that's right. Today we're going to be asking the question, Melchizedek who? Who is this guy? And why does he keep popping up? He seems really important. If you look back in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 10, it says that God, Jesus is called by God as a, as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And then the author, when he mentions Melchizedek, he's like, you know what? This is going really deep, and I'm going to go into some deep stuff, but I'm worried that you guys are dull of hearing, and, you, and you're still spiritually immature, and you can't handle this when he, before he actually dives into to the topic of Melchizedek. And then we read chapter 6, and at the very end of chapter 6, it says, Where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become the high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So this Melchizedek guy keeps popping up. And he seems really important because Jesus is compared to Melchizedek. And so if he keeps popping up, we ask the question, who is this guy? Because if we want to understand the scriptures, we want to just, we don't just want to skip over that. He's trying to make a point here. And in chapter 7 of Hebrews, he is going to dig into who this Melchizedek guy is and why he's important. But before we Look in Hebrews 7. I actually want to, I know I told you to turn there, but now I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 14. There are only two places in Scripture outside of Hebrews where we see the name Melchizedek. One of those is in Genesis 14. So we're going to go on a little investigation this morning, and we're going to see where does Melchizedek pop up in Scripture And then we're going to go to Hebrews 7 to find out why it's important that Jesus is called a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So Genesis 14, the story here is about Abraham when he goes and he rescues Lot, his nephew, who was dwelling in Sodom. And there's this big battle against these other kings. And Abraham is victorious and he brings Lot back. And then, let's look in verse, uh, this is after the battle, Genesis 14, verse 16. So he, that's Abram, Abraham, but now he's, right now it's called Abram. He hasn't changed his name to Abraham yet. So he brought back all the goods and also brought back his brother Lot and his goods and went as the woman and, the, as well as the woman and the people. Verse 17, and then the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shaveh, which is the king's valley. And after his return from the defeat of Chedorlaomer and the kings who were with him. Verse 18, here he is. Then Melchizedek, the king of Salem, 
brought out bread and wine, he was the priest of God Most High. And he, Melchizedek, blessed him, that's Abram, and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he, Abram, gave Melchizedek a tithe, 10% of the spoils um, of all. All right? So, we learn a couple things about Melchizedek from Genesis 14. We find out something really unique about him. That he is both a king and a priest. Now, this is peculiar. Usually, you're either a king or you're a priest. But Melchizedek is both. It says that he was a king of Salem and he was a priest of the Most High God. So, that's interesting. And it's especially interesting as he's described the priest as a priest. Um, has the nation of Israel been even formed yet at this point? No, they haven't, okay? Abram is the father of many nations. He's going to, he's going to settle in the land, right? So, so Israel has not even been established as a nation yet, which means, is the Levitical priesthood set up yet? No, there's no Levitical priesthood. There's no Israel. There is no nation. And yet, here's this priest of God. And guess what? He's not even Israelite. He's like, he's like a Canaanite. He's, like, he's from like some random country. And yet he is declared as priest of the Most High God. And, and we don't know where he came from. We don't know who he is. He just pops up. But he's this king and this priest. And what happens in this story? Well, two things happen in the story. All right? First of all, he blesses Abraham or Abram. Okay? That's going to be important as we look in Hebrews chapter 7. And then Abraham tithes to Melchizedek. Abraham gives 10%. That's what tithe means to this Melchizedek. And that's going to be important as we look in Hebrews. And that's the first instance that we see this Melchizedek guy. And then the only other passage where we find the word or the name Melchizedek is in Psalm 110. Turn over there if you'd like. Over in Psalm 110 which is a messianic psalm. Now, what's a messianic psalm? A messianic psalm is a psalm that prophesies, that points to the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus Christ. Psalm 110, look in verse 4. It says, The Lord has sworn and will not relent, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And if you remember in Hebrews, that's the actual verse that Hebrews quotes whenever it mentions Melchizedek. This messianic psalm prophesying about Jesus Christ hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years earlier. That this this Messiah would be after the order of Melchizedek. Okay, so what have we learned? Right? Who is this Melchizedek guy? We've learned that he's a priest outside of the Levitical priesthood. If you know, the nation of Israel was set up, and then God sets up the tribe of Levi, and, that, and that's where the priests come from. Aaron, Moses' brother, was the first priest, and it's his line that, is the, that serve as priests in the temple, and they make the sacrifices, and they do all that stuff. That hasn't been set up yet. He's not even an Israelite. He's a priest outside of that line. We learn that he blesses Abram, who gives him a, a tithe, a tenth of the spoil, And that is all we know about Melchizedek in Scripture. 
He appears out of nowhere, and then he disappears without any explanation. We see his name one more time in Psalm 110, and then never again until the book of Hebrews. It's weird that this guy that's mentioned so infrequently would be so important. But we're going to look in Hebrews 7, and we're going to find out why it's so important to understand who Melchizedek is. Okay, so back to Hebrews 7. We're done with our investigation. And now we're going to see the author of Hebrews. He's actually going to refer back to the passages that we just looked at and make a case for why Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Let's look, first of all, Hebrews 7, verses 1 through 7. And we're going to see Melchizedek's office as priest described. Let's, we're going to read the first seven verses. Okay, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning, meaning king of peace. He's without father, without mother, without genealogy, neither, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoil. And indeed, those who are the sons of Levi, who receive the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them receives tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Now, beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. All right, what in the world did he just say? Okay. Again, he's referring basically everything that we just read in Genesis chapter 14. That Melchizedek, who was this king and this priest, he points out something interesting about him. He says that there's no genealogy for Melchizedek. If you were a priest of Levi, if you were a Levitical priest, you were a priest based on your genealogy. Someone were to come up to you and say, hey, what makes you a priest? How come you get to be a priest? Well, you say, well, uh, here's my family tree. I'm of the tribe of Levi, and my father was a priest, and his father before him. And that genealogy, that family tree, was the basis for their priesthood. Melchizedek doesn't have that. It's not mentioned. There's no priestly line. There's no family descent that gives him an authority to be priest. He's just there. Okay? And then we see that he blesses Abraham, and then Abraham pays, gives things to um, Melchizedek. Now, why is that so important? Well, we're going to see that his Melchizedek's superiority is proven. Here's the point why he says all of these things. If, if someone blesses another person, gives a blessing, who is the greater in that situation? The person who gives the blessing or the person who receives the blessing? Which one's greater? More important? One who gives the blessing. Good. Okay? If you pay a tithe, if you pay an offering to someone else, who's greater? The one who pays or the one who receives? one who receives the blessing, right? Like we, we give an offering to God because we acknowledge God is greater than us and we are giving back to him. This is the whole point that he's trying to prove here. He says in verse four, see how great this man was, this man Melchizedek. Well, why is it important that he's so great? Well, because 
Abraham, who's a pretty great guy, I mean, the Israelites, this is the book of Hebrews, it's written to Hebrews, the Hebrews saw Abraham as pretty important, as, as a patriarch, right? The father of their nation. Father Abraham had many sons, right? And they, they, he sees Abraham as super, super important. And then the author says, guess who's greater than Abraham? Melchizedek is. How do you know Melchizedek is greater than Abraham? Well, because Melchizedek blessed Abraham, not the other way around. And Abraham gave tithes to Melchizedek. So Abraham acknowledges you, Melchizedek, are greater than me. It's the greater who's blessed by the lesser. Verse 7 says, it's beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. And it's the lesser who gives tithes to the greater. Look in verse 5. It says, indeed, those who are the sons of Levi... the priests who receive the priesthood, they have a commandment to actually receive tithes from the people according to the law. That is from their brethren. Okay, so he says, now the Levitical priests, they receive tithes. They get tithes from the people, meaning they're they're at a higher plane. They're they're, they're more important. They're greater because they receive tithes. But then he makes a really interesting point that Levi is a descendant of Abraham. And verses 9 and 10 says that, in a way, Levi paid tithes to Melchizedek because he was, he was an offspring of Abraham. Okay? He says that he was not yet born, but he was going to be born. And so, in a way, you could say that the Levitical priesthood paid tithes to this Melchizedek guy. All right? Why is that all important? Why are we going through all of these, all of these different explanations? This all establishes the fact that Melchizedek was greater than Abraham and he was a priest greater than the Levitical priesthood. And here's the point. If Jesus is our great high priest, which priesthood should we compare him to? If he's going to be after a priestly line, if he is going to, if he is going to be given a, a, uh, a priesthood, now, the Hebrews would say, well, he must be like the Levitical priests. And the author saying, no, man, he can't be part of the Levitical priesthood. He's way better than that. And he's going to show us why he's way better than that. Yeah, Jaden. Um, do you know what's going to be the Yeah. There you go. Yep. And that's why Jesus is described as a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. For these Hebrew readers, the Levitical priesthood was at the top. Right? This is the most important. This was the priesthood established by God and had served in the tabernacle and the temple throughout the generations. They were the protectors of the law, Moses, the law of Moses. There was no better priesthood than the Levitical priesthood. This was it. And so the Hebrews who are used to following the law, they're used to receiving the sacrifices, they're used to the Levitical priests being the ones who do all this. The author comes in and says, Jesus... There's actually a priesthood that you're missing. There is a priesthood out there that is superior, better than the Levitical priesthood. Well, which one's that? The priesthood of Melchizedek. Well, how do we know that? Well, how did Abraham view Melchizedek? As greater than him, more important than him, right? And so there's this other Levitical priesthood that's not tied to genealogy that is superior to the Levitical priests. And Jesus is the one who has this priesthood. Now look in verse 
11 of chapter 7. After all that explanation, he says, Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not called according to the order of Aaron? Okay, so what is he saying here? He's comparing these two priesthoods, and he's like, listen, you know the Levitical priesthood. If perfection were possible, according to the Levites, who gave you the law, so in other words, he's saying, if perfection was possible through the law, why does Psalm 110 say that there's another priesthood, another person who's going to rise after the order of Melchizedek, who's outside of the law, who's outside of the priesthood? If the priesthood is perfect, why would there be a necessity for another order of priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. Verse 12, for the priesthood has been changed of necessity. There's also a change of the law for, for he of whom these things are spoken. That's Jesus belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar for it's evident that our Lord arose from Judah. So he's not from the tribe of Levite of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. And yet, and it is yet far more evident if, in the likeness of Melchizedek, there arises another priest who has come, not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. For he testifies, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So why is Jesus greater? Why is Jesus greater than the priests, the Levitical priests? He's our great high priest, but he's better than the Levitical priest. Why is he better? Well, he's going to give us a couple reasons. First of all, Jesus is after the order of Melchizedek because he has better qualifications than the Levitical priests. What credentials were required for a Levitical priest? You remember? What, what did they have to be true about them in order to be a, a priest? Michael. Yeah, you have a tribe of right. So they, their, their genealogy, it was their qualification. You had to be in the Levitical line. You had to be able to show your family tree. You were appointed the position because of your family. Well, what credentials does Jesus have as our high priest? He makes the point in, in Hebrews 7 that Jesus is eternal. The reason why he has better qualification than any earthly priest is because he is everlasting. And he points to Melchizedek, who there's no family tree given to him. That he just kind of appears out of nowhere. So there's no, there's no family tree basis. And in that same way, Jesus, he came from Judah, not tribe of Levi. So he's not, he's not a priest because of his family line. He's a priest, a high priest, a great high priest, because he is eternal. Jesus doesn't point to his lineage Because he has an indestructible life. And why is this better? Why is this a better qualification than the Levitical priest? I want you to look down in Hebrews 7, verse 23. Hebrews 7, verse 23 says, The former priests were many in number. Why were they many in number? The former priests would be the Levitical priests. Why were they many in number? Because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. The very presence of a family tree acknowledges death, right? If, if, if you live forever, 
There's no need for a family tree because you just continue living. And so Jesus, the former priests are many because they kept dying and people had to keep replacing them. But he, it says, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. And consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make, to make intercession for them. Jesus is a great high priest because he never dies, that he continues forever. And those who draw near to him, he is able to save to the uttermost. What is that phrase, save to the uttermost? It means Jesus can save you all the way. That is not an incomplete salvation. It's not a partial salvation. It's to the uttermost. Jesus can save all those who draw near to him. Because he's always living to make intercession for them. So he has better qualifications because he's eternal. And then the passage also says that his priesthood is sealed with God's oath. Look in verse 20. It says, Inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath, By him who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So he says, when the the Levites became priests, there wasn't any oath given. Um, But this prophecy of the Messiah, it says it's sealed with the oath of God. The Lord has sworn. And we just, last time we looked at the promises of God, the two unchangeable things. God's promise and God's oath. It's impossible for him to lie. And they're guaranteed, they're sure, his promises are sure. And he uses the same language of an oath to say, this is sure. It was sealed with an oath. The Levitical priests weren't sealed with an oath. But this Messiah, this priest after the order of Melchizedek, was sealed with an oath. What was the basis for the Levitical priesthood? It was the law. But what's the basis for the order of Melchizedek? The promise of God. So we see this contrast between the law and the promise of God. And which one's more superior? The promise of God. Now look down in verse 28. It says, For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. But the word of the oath which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. So his qualification of an eternal life shows the weakness, the inferiority of the Levitical priesthood. This, This claim, this qualification, shows the inferiority of the law. That, that his basis is the promise of God himself. So Jesus is better because he has better qualifications. And then ultimately, this passage tells us that he's better because he gives a better hope than anything that the law or the Levitical priest could offer. And this is why he's called a priest after the order of Melchizedek, because he's outside of the tribe of Levi. He's outside of the Mosaic law. Look in in chapter 7, verses 18 and 19. This is really important. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. 
What's he talking about there? He's talking about the law. The, the, the Old Testament law, Mosaic law. He called it weakless, weak, weak and useless. Now, if you read Romans, it says that does it mean that the, 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 the law is bad? Does it mean that, that it's inferior, that it's not good? No, it's not saying that because God created the law. When he says weak and useless, he's referring to its ability to actually save. If you're talking about perfecting those who follow it, the law is weak and useless because it wasn't designed to do that. Right? So he says the, that former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. So Jesus is contrasted to the law. Jesus came to offer us his righteousness, to be perfect for us. And this makes him better than the law, because the law can make no one perfect. You cannot earn your way to heaven. You cannot do enough good things to be approved by God. The law can make nobody perfect. It was never designed to do that. It was never meant to do that. And in that case, it's weak and useless to save you. The purpose of the law, the Old Testament law, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, all those Ten Commandments are meant to show you that you are not perfect. And so Jesus comes as a great high priest, not after the law, the Levitical priesthood, but after the order of Melchizedek, outside of the law, so that he could come and perfect us by achieving and, and fulfilling the law himself. And he, made, he met the righteous demands on our behalf. And Jesus is a far better hope than anything the law can offer. And he's trying to make a point to these Hebrew readers who revere the law. Listen, Jesus is not a priest after the order of Levi. He is a priest after the order of Melchizedek because he offers a better hope. He, he, he does not offer you perfection through the law that the, that the high priests of, of, of Levi would, would teach to you and preach to you. He, offers, he comes to fulfill the law himself. And a better hope is introduced. And through this better hope, we can draw near to God. That's the point. That's why, that's why the, the order of Melchizedek is so important. Because he is a priest that gives a better hope than the law. You cannot earn your salvation. Jesus comes to do what you cannot. Okay? But then he highlights one other thing in which Jesus is better, that he gives a better hope. So the, the high priests were, were responsible for um, teaching the law and protecting the law. What other big job did the, did the priests do? What was something they did every day, all the time, you know? It was, it was a violent job. Sacrifices. There were sacrifices every day, all the time. The sacrifices were implemented as a way to show the seriousness of our sin and to, and to seek forgiveness of our sins. And, and whenever you sinned, you would have to, to bring an, an, un, an unblemished lamb or a goat and, and bring it to the altar. And the priests would kill that animal and burn it on the altar as a, as a way of saying that sin is serious and sin needs to be atoned for. Look in Hebrews 7, verses 26 through 27. It says, for it was indeed fitting, it's, it's, it's appropriate, it's perfect, that we should have such a high priest who is holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. And he has no need 
like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he himself did this once for all when he offered up himself. So here Jesus is compared to the sacrifices. And he gives a much better hope than anything these Old Testament sacrifices could offer. These, these priests would every day make these sacrifices, but they had to do something. They had to make a sacrifice for their own sins first, because these Levitical priests were sinners, just like the rest of the people in Israel. And so they had to atone for their own sins, and then they had to atone for the sins of the people. And Hebrews says, Jesus has no need to do that. Why? Because he's holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, and he does not have to offer sacrifices every day. Why? Because on the cross, he came and sacrificed himself once for all. The perfect sacrifice. And when people saw Jesus on the cross, and if they would have understood the connection between the Old Testament law and the Old Testament sacrifices, and what they saw on Calvary, with Jesus hanging on that cross, they would see everything we've been doing day after day. I mean, a priesthood was a, was a violent job. I mean, you were basically a butcher part-time. And, and, and this, this, this image of, of, of animal carcasses and burnt offerings and the blood running down the side of the altar every single day is burnt in your memory. And there you see Jesus hung on a tree, dying and bleeding as the perfect, once-for-all, finished sacrifice. There is nothing left that needs to be offered. So Jesus is far better than Levitical priesthood because he has no need, like those Levitical priests, to offer sacrifices for himself, and he has no need to offer sacrifices daily because he offered up himself. Point to anything that the Levitical priests were, anything that they did, or anything that they accomplished, and Jesus does something much better. So you can't attach Jesus to the Levitical priesthood because there's no comparison. He's far better than that. And so we see this, the glimpses of this greater high priest, Melchizedek, who serves as this pointer to the greatest high priest, Jesus Christ. And that's why Jesus Christ is a great high priest after the order, not of Levi, but of Melchizedek. Think about what incredible news this would be for the Jewish readers who are reading this book, who know very well the Old Testament law, who know the sacrifices, and they realize, because of Jesus, I don't have to depend on the law. I don't have to depend on sacrifices. Jesus is a better high priest. He is superior. He is a priest forever, not affected by death. He always lives to intercede for me. Jesus offers a better hope based on the law and not sacrifices. It's based on his perfect life and his sacrificial death. So what, I mean, what's the application for us? It's really simple, and hopefully you've seen it already. Because Jesus Christ is a priest after the order of Melchizedek, he can save you. No one else can. No religion, no list of rules, no priest. Only Jesus the high priest after the order of Melchizedek is able to save to the uttermost. We learn that we can come near to him anytime. Why? Because he's not limited by death. He always lives to intercede for you. You can go to him in prayer anytime you want. You can go to him to ask forgiveness of your sins anytime you want. 
And we learn that you don't have to look for another payment for your sins. The sins that you're guilty of, you don't have to, you don't have to earn forgiveness yourself. You don't have to work off your sins by doing a lot of good things. You don't have to make up for your bad things. The Bible says all you need to do is go to Jesus to say, Jesus, you are my ultimate sacrifice. You died in my place. You took my sins on the cross so that I could have a new life. You offer forgiveness. And I don't need to look anywhere else. I don't need to punish myself. I don't need to earn uh, perfection myself. You did it. And I'm calling to you by faith. I'm asking you to be my Savior, to be my high priest. And these readers who are listening to this, and they're, they're so accustomed to the law and the sacrifices, what a breath of fresh air for them to realize, oh, wow. So the law that I've been following, trying to follow my whole life, that was meant to point to Jesus. That wasn't meant to save me. That was meant to point to this greater high priest. And then they think, oh man, these sacrifices that I've seen every single day, they weren't meant to atone for my sins. They were meant to point to Jesus, the ultimate and perfect sacrifice. I don't have to continue in the way that I'm living. I don't have to continue seeking perfection myself. I can depend on the perfection of my great high priest who gave the ultimate sacrifice to forgive me of my sins. Is it really important that Jesus is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek? It's really important. And it's just a name that we just kind of skim over. Melchizedek, that sounds like a weird name. I don't really know who that is. On to the next chapter. But when we stop and we think and we dig down, man, what, a, what an incredible treasure of, of truth that we discover. You know, back when he first mentions Melchizedek in Hebrews 5, he says, I have a lot of really deep things I want to tell you, but I feel like I can't because you're dull of hearing. You're spiritually immature. You're not ready for that yet. You're still drinking milk and not solid food. And when he talked about all these deep things he really wanted to get into, what was he referring to specifically? I think he was referring to this whole idea of Melchizedek. He's like, but if you, if you just stop and you focus and you learn and you, and, and you listen well, you'll realize what you've been missing. That this is actually an incredible truth that points to the perfection of Christ's life in achieving and fulfilling the law and points to his perfection in being the ultimate sacrifice. And it's an incredible application for us. Go to Jesus because he's the only one who can forgive you. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for being a great high priest. You came not to teach us the law or to show us how to earn salvation ourselves. You came to fulfill the law and to rescue us from ourselves. Lord, I pray that those who have professed faith in you would be reminded today that you are still their Savior and that the Christian life is not one based on the law but is based on faith in you who fulfilled the law, who transformed us, who gave us new life, who became the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. And if there's anyone who who hasn't yet done that, has not yet professed faith in you, called you to be, called on you to be their high priest, to be their sacrifice. 
Lord, that even the, 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 the truths that we saw from Hebrews today would remind them of their need to be saved. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for how rich and how beautiful it is. Give us, give us eyes to, to see it and ears to hear it. That we wouldn't be content with just a surface level study, but that we would move from milk to solid food and, and be, be willing and eager to dig down into the deep truths of Scripture so that we can know you more through it. In your son's name we pray. Amen.